0: So today I want to share with you a teaching of Jesus that on the surface it, it appears off. I mean to, to a modern Western reader, it's just like, what? What are you talking about, Jesus, here? But but once you understand what Jesus is teaching here, you, you will find that this principle will unlock many of Jesus' teachings for you. It's kind of like a master key that, that unlocks many doors understanding this parable will open your understanding to a great portion of the message and teachings of Jesus. So Jesus said, it's found in Matthew chapter 13, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. You see, on the surface, this verse can be confusing. I mean, it seems counter to what I understand Jesus' message of redemption to be. I mean, if, if, if this teaching of Jesus confuses you, don't feel bad. It stumped me for years too. Uh, I thought we were supposed to share with others how they too can be forgiven and go to heaven. I mean, didn't Jesus tell his disciples that they were supposed to tell others? Yet, yet the guy in this parable, he discovers the kingdom of heaven... And then he hides it. On the surface, it kind of looks like he's, he's hoarding the good news to himself. And that's not right. I mean, I remember being taught like, how wrong it would be if someone were to discover a cure for cancer and then not share that with the world. Like, like that would be labeled Evil. And yet here's this guy, he discovers the kingdom of heaven and he hides it. I mean, everybody wants to go to heaven. And, and and if you find it in a field, you ought to tell people how they can get there. So on the surface, this parable can be confusing. But once you understand it, it really opens up a lot of Jesus' teachings for you. I want you to notice that Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. He doesn't say that heaven is is like a treasure hidden in a field. He says, the kingdom of heaven. And I would suggest to you that the key word in this passage is the word kingdom. I suppose, because everybody wants to go to heaven, that we unintentionally focus on that word heaven. I mean, we make the same mistake with Jesus in thinking that Jesus simply came so that we can go to heaven. Jesus says of himself in John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. See, Jesus doesn't say that he came so that you can have life eternally. Uh, He says he he came and, and and what he teaches, it holds promise not just for life ever after, but it holds promise for the life in the here and now. I came so that you can have life abundantly. when you see jesus teaching about the kingdom of heaven the majority of the time he's not teaching about the afterlife he's teaching about he's not teaching as about heaven as a place he's teaching about life in the here and now the word the the key word here is kingdom and and a kingdom is where a king rules and when jesus speaks about the kingdom of heaven He's teaching about anywhere that God rules. And while it is true that the sovereign Lord of the universe rules all things, the way God rules his kingdom allows for the exercise of free will. Now, I apologize to you because things just got deep really fast, and I didn't even give you a warning. All right, I just threw out there. I just used the words sovereign Lord and free will in the same sentence. I've known many Bible-believing Christians whose understanding of things leads them to conclude that in order for God to be sovereign and in control, that man cannot have free will. On the flip side, I've known other Bible-believing Christians whose understanding of things leads them to conclude that in order for man to have free will, then God cannot be in control. Yet I'm convinced that that both God's sovereignty and, and man's free will, they're not only true, but they are completely compatible. Uh, and for you to understand Jesus' teachings on the kingdom of heaven, then you need some understanding of God's sovereignty and man's free will. So i got to go deep here for a little bit, but I'm going to try to simplify it. Look, God is all-powerful, all-knowing. There's nothing that he cannot do he is sovereign. He is absolutely in control. Whatever God decrees, that is what happens. He is the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. He is holy, meaning he is, he is other. E- even God's foolishness is greater than all of our wisdom combined. All right? I mean, if I've got any five to seven point Calvinists in the room, you're probably sitting there going, preach it, brother. That's good stuff. I'm sure I just preached some of your favorite biblical truths. And those things are true. As I've studied the scriptures over many years alongside other believers, I've found that for many who call themselves Calvinist, the idea of free will threatens their understanding of the sovereignty of God. I mean, if God's in control, then that means he controls every thought and action. And if you are free to choose, and you can choose other than what God desires then that threatens the idea of his sovereignty. And thus, God is not actually in control. On the flip side, I've, I have people who believe so much in man's free will that for them, the idea of an all-knowing, sovereign God of the universe threatens the idea of man's free will. I had a professor at Howard Payne University, and he taught us, or tried to teach us, that, that, in, that if man is truly free, then God cannot know the future. Because if he knows the future, he can act, and thus that threatens your freedom. And what I see people do is they'll take a philosophy to help them understand what Scripture says, but the philosophy cannot bear the weight of the entire Scripture. And so, so I just, I warn you, I caution you not to adhere to any particular ism. Let God's Word say what God intended it to say. And, and when I read Scriptures, I see that God is absolutely in control I also see that God gives man a freedom to choose and he holds man responsible. Um, I see both truths in scriptures and I don't think one threatens the other. So I'm going to try to make it simple so that we can move on to understanding the kingdom. The God who is in absolute control of the universe, the God who makes the rules, he, he sovereignly decided that in his universe there will be free will. In other words, Free will only exists because the sovereign God of the universe has said that it will exist. And I'll show you biblically why I believe this, and then I'll show you experientially. In Matthew chapter 22, uh, these, these experts in the law, they come to Jesus, and they say to him, this is Matthew 22 verse 36, they say, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. You see, the greatest commandment involves love. This tells me that if that's the greatest commandment, then then among the priorities of God, love is at the top. Okay? What's the greatest commandment? What's, What's top priority God? Love. What God desires above all else, what he commands above all else is love. And love, real love, as I understand it, requires choice. See, you could force obedience. If you are bigger, stronger, if you've got all the right leverage, you can force somebody to do, act, or say what you want. And as long as you've got more power over another, you can leverage your weight and strength in such a way and demand that they love you. Demand that they show you love. Demand that they say they love you. And a person will say and will act in that manner, um, even if that's not how they feel, they will do it because you have got the threat of force over them or you've got the threat of, I will take away what you need. I will take away um, what's important to you. I will use my force to cause you to act and behave and to, to do things my way. But if you have to force, if you have to use force, To get someone to say, I love you, even though they say it, it's not likely that love is what they really feel for you. In fact, if you've got to force someone to say, I love you, then in all likelihood, the opposite of love is what they are going to be feeling. I mean, love, if it is to be real, must come freely from the heart. It's a choice, and because God who is love according to scripture, who God, who wants love above all the other commands, this sovereign God has said, all right, because I want love, freedom has to exist. See, free will only exists because the sovereign God of the universe wants us to have free will. And that is how God rules his kingdom. He gives you and I a choice. I mean, Jesus says in John 14, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. That's choice. In Galatians 6 7, the Apostle Paul, from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Meaning that it's like you are going to get the result of your choices, and God is holding you accountable to that. There's responsibility there. And we've all experienced this. I mean, I'm confident that I'm not the only person in the room who has known what God wants. I've known what God has said no to. I've known what God has said yes to. And yet, in my own choosing, I decide to do precisely what I know God doesn't want me to do. Oh no, you're like, oh, I don't want to listen. They got guy preach anymore. He's a bad guy. But I know I'm not the only one. And as I've said that, I'm like, okay, God, you said I'm not supposed to do this, but I really want to do this, so I'm going to do this. You know what has never happened God has never sent down a lightning bolt to strike the tip of my big toe to be like, watch out, buddy. I'm going to zap you if you take another step. Anybody got their toes zapped recently? and He could have done that. But he doesn't. Why not? Because Jesus teaches us. If you love God, you'll obey his commands. He gives you that choice. He gives you an opportunity to live out your love for him or to live out your own selfishness. We've all experienced this. He lets you choose counter to his will. He could stop you, but he doesn't because he wants love. God could force your obedience, but he wants you to choose his will in his way. And when Jesus tells us that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, he's not saying that heaven is the treasure. He is saying that giving God ownership of your life Choosing God's will, that's the treasure. Because God has sovereignly decreed that we have choice. The kingdom of heaven is anywhere that God's rule is chosen. What Jesus is teaching here is that, he, that giving God ownership of your life, choosing to follow his commands, that is like a treasure hidden in a field. And the treasure is so valuable, it's worth giving up everything of value in your life. Look at this passage again, Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys the field. When I was growing up, my mother would, uh, every Saturday she would take us garage sale shopping, garage sale hunting. Anybody else do the garage sale thing or was like me, you were forced to do the garage sale thing. I hated it. I did. And, and because in my, in, my, in my youthfulness, all right, I'm in junior high. I was afraid that we would end up at a house of one of my friends and they would see me perusing the stuff that they didn't want going, Bob's poor, you know, and I don't know, it's, that's a ridiculous thought. But I was a teenager with lots of ridiculous thoughts, all right, and you had them too, okay? Um, you just don't have to preach about them like I do. All right? Saturday morning would come. We would load up the car and we'd drive to all the garage sales we could find. I hated it. I, we would, we bought so many um, vacuum cleaners. Like I got said that. I was like, we and what happened is we would buy somebody's used vacuum cleaner and it already had mileage on it. And we'd go use it for a little bit and then it would break. And then we needed another vacuum cleaner. So we'd go to the garage sale and we'd buy another used one. I started thinking, it's like, gosh, I mean, I don't know if a new vacuum cleaner would would stay working for a length of time, but we've spent enough on used vacuum cleaners that we could have bought two or three brand new ones. My mom was not a good garage sale shopper. But occasionally, you would find a real treasure. My mother-in-law, Julie's mom, she is a garage sale treasure hunting commando. I mean, she's, she, she goes on these garage sales. I'll just tell you this. In my house, there are two pieces of furniture that Julie and I have bought. The rest are treasures that her mom has discovered in a garage sale. I mean, she just, she just finds treasures. And uh, she, she does really good at it. So I want you to imagine, as I got my little garage sale here, that you're at a, a garage sale or maybe an estate sale, and uh, you're perusing the stuff that somebody, they don't want anymore. You're looking at it like, all right, this is actually wanted. I know that. You know, I was told this morning, so don't take this away. That's kind of neat. I don't know. Do I really want to pay for this? I could use that. Yeah. And you're looking around the stuff, and nothing's really interesting you. And you come you just, you're, you're, you're flipping through it all, and you, you come across a little chest, and you open it up. And inside it, you see something surprising see a pile of baseball cards. And they're old. And and as you flip through it, you're like, that says Mickey Mantle. That's the 1952 Topps rookie Mickey Mantle card. Last April, I believe, a rookie Mickey Mantle card sold in auction for $2.8 million. I know some of you are like, I used to have one of those. Why did I throw that away? Yes, $2.8 million. Almost broke the record for sports memorabilia. The record is a 1909 Honus Wagner card. Yeah, I got the picture of that up there. So if you got one of these, you got something. You are flipping through this little chest, and you find in there the Mickey Mantle, and you find the 1909 Honus, and you find other cards. You're like, This is a treasure. You call to the lady who's running the sale, Ma'am, how much is this chest? She says, $5. What about all the cards inside? five dollars okay now we live in the day and age where everybody's buying things digitally i mean i don't carry cash anymore you look in your wallet and you're like i don't have five bucks ma'am I'm, i want to buy this chest will you hold it for me nope first come first serve i want this so what do you do put it away so that nobody else discovers it. Now you run home and you and you 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 you, you find a family member and you're like, "I need a uh, I need $5. Can I can I borrow $5?" And they're not in a good mood. And they say, "No." "I need $5." "Please." "No." I will sell you my 52 inch television for five dollars. You're, you're nuts. I will sell you my 52 inch television. I'll sell you my car. You can have my car. You can have my bike. You can have my exercise equipment. I'll give you everything. All those dishes. Remember that stuff that mom gave me and that you wanted really. You can have it. You can have all my video games, all my records, my whole collection of stuff. I'll give it to you for five bucks. And they're looking at you like, you are insane. What is wrong with you? Listen, I'll sell you my house for $5. And they're just, they're finally like, fine. You're crazy. And I'm sick of dealing with a crazy person. Here's $5. You're a sucker. I'm taking it all. And you know what you do? You take your $5, even though you've sold everything that you have. And you skip Here you go. You know why? Because you know that what's here is worth more than everything you gave up to get it. That is what Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of heaven. He says that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And it is worth so much that if you had to give up everything everything in your life to get God's will in your life, it's worth it. That's his point. God's will for your life is so valuable that though it costs you everything and and everything is costly, it is worth it because what you get in exchange has a worth that is way greater than anything you ever give up. Those sins that you enjoy so much I mean, they're fun. If they weren't fun, nobody would do it. What you get in God's will is way, worth way more. All the best things in my life have come because I've asked God to guide me and show me his will. It started with salvation. God says, listen, I don't want you to fix yourself. My will for you is not that you would work your way up to become so good. My will is that you would trust in my provision and my love for you. Trust in my son Jesus, what he did for you on that cross in his resurrection. And if you would trust him with your life, I'll save you. Spent my life as a single bringing girls to God saying, God, how about this one? Would you bless this one? It, just, it, was just, it was all disaster. Some disasters would last longer than others, but they were all disasters. And finally I said, God, fine, I'm sick of bringing you girls. Who should I date? He says, what about Julie? And in my youthful immaturity, I was like, oh, she's the kind of girl I would marry. To which God says, I don't see why that's a problem. Moving different churches, this this church, you know, I mean, I got some friends here from from Longview, Texas. Uh, God's will led me to be a youth pastor there for five years. When I walked into that church, y'all remember uh, Brother Tom? My first Sunday there, he delivered one of the worst sermons I had ever heard. It was horrible. He is preaching on the book of Revelation, and it was dry, and it was drawn out. And this, this was a church, on that particular Sunday, listen, I'm very casual. On that particular Sunday, he uh he declares, hey, I got good news for you, church. We're gonna have no tie July. I, I tell, I'm telling you guys, I sat in my pew with my family there with me, And I was like this, what have I done? Because I had just accepted the position as youth pastor. Turned out to be a great five years. God did a lot of work in me to prepare me to be a pastor. And I've made some lifelong friends that now you're, you're joining with me in God's work here. I mean, what a great decision. But when I made it, I was like, oh, I don't know if that's right. God's will for your life, no matter what you have to give up to get it, I promise you, By the word of God and by experience, it's gonna be the best decisions you ever made. I want you to notice that in the scripture, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and buys it. Listen, if God's will for your life feels like an obligation, if it feels like a burden, if you're unhappy because you think you're missing out on something good because you chose God's way rather than another way, then you don't know the treasure you have in Jesus. God's will is not a burden. It's a joy. So Jesus teaches in, in Matthew 6, He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Look, Jesus is not saying to make heaven your first priority. The context of the verse is, that, is, the, is how God will take care of your needs, your, your food, your clothing. And Jesus is not saying that when you're saved, that, that all your needs are going to be met. What he's saying is that if you seek God's will first and foremost in your life, that God is going to line things up in a way that you never could have predicted and you couldn't have controlled. As you study the Gospels and you see Jesus teach on the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, the vast majority of the time, he's teaching about God's will and God's rule. I mean, it's not 100%. Sometimes he uses that same phrase and he's speaking about things that are future, things that are to come. But most of the time, he is referring to God's will in the here and now. I also want you to notice that in the story, the fella, in his joy, he He goes, he sells all he has, and he buys the field. I mean, why not just grab the treasure and run off with it? Just seize it and take it. Why buy the field? It's because the things of God, the powerful things of God, they're not cheap. They're not common. They're not typical. You don't get the things of God for nothing. In fact, the greatest gift ever given, it didn't cost you anything, but it's the most expensive gift that's ever been given. You say, people think it's like salvation's free just because it didn't cost you anything. Yes, it didn't cost you anything, but it did cost Jesus, the sinless son of God. His life bled out asphyxiated on a cross with nine-inch nails in his hands and feet. It wasn't cheap. It's the most expensive gift that's ever been given. Salvation is not going to cost you a thing. But if you really want the deep things of God in your life, there's a price to pay. And Jesus teaches it's worth it. Because what you get in exchange, even if you have to give everything up, you get more. Serving in the little town of Albany, filled with ranchers and oil men. I had one rancher, and he had testified. He's like, like, he was always afraid of God's will in his life. Because he's afraid. If I say yes to God, God's going to send me to Africa. That's what he's afraid of. He finally said yes to God. You know what God did? God sent him to Africa. And now he goes back every year. It's a privilege. It's a joy for him to get to go and share the gospel with with people in Africa. What he was afraid of actually was one of his favorite things. And he goes back and he goes back and he goes back. And you got this little small town rancher in the big continent of Africa sharing the gospel. What are you afraid of? Your effort to control things? How's that working for you? Is that sin really that great? Having to hide it? Worrying that people might discover you? Is money really that fantastic? I promise you. I mean, God's will for each and every one of us is going to be different and unique. But being poor in God's will, I've discovered is way more valuable than being rich and in control. It just is. (laughs) You want the deeper things of God, the powerful things? You don't just grab it and run off. You buy the field. It'll cost you everything, but what you get in return is worth far more than anything you would ever give up. That's the invitation today. What are you holding on to that is keeping you from God's will. God's calling you to someplace else and you're like, oh, but this is... I don't want to let go. What are you holding on to today? You know, there's a moment, one of the scariest moments you can experience. If you were to be on a trapeze, and you're swinging, if you're one of those guys, and you're swinging, and you're going to go from one, you know, swing to the next, there's that moment where you let go, and you're holding on to nothing really scary. But I promise you, if you'll let go and grab onto what God has for you, It'll become one of the greatest things in your life, and you'll look back on it years later saying, my goodness, that was one of the best things I ever did. It won't always equal riches and health, but it equals in a fulfillment, in a peace. It equals things that you can't actually buy in this world. What are you holding on to? What's worth giving up to get God's will? I want to invite our musicians to come back and you guys go ahead and just start playing. That's fine. I want us just to pray and say, God, I've heard the message of your son Jesus. Now help me discover your will. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity to open your word I thank you for opening our understanding to what your son Jesus has in front of us. He's so good. Not only would he save us so that we can have heaven in our future, but we can have the things of of God in the here and now. God, I pray for your people that you would awaken in them a hunger to seek you out in their life. To seek you out in their relationships. To seek you out in how they conduct their business. To seek you out in their, in their plans for the future. And God, to just experience your will with joy. God, may we not be hung up on what it cost, but rather be excited about what it's worth. And thank you, God, that you've given me a lifetime of stories that just convinced me That even when I don't understand how you're leading, you've proven yourself good over and over and over again. Father, if there be one today who needs to take the very first step into your will and trust your son Jesus to save them, trust your son Jesus to guide them, that they would begin to learn what he has to say and to live it out. God, I pray that maybe today would be that day. And just like I met you by walking the aisle of a church and saying, Pastor, I don't know what I'm doing. I just know I need God. Maybe somebody here today would be in a similar spot. God, I pray for the one here who's just holding on to control. They're they're just there's they're just terrified and anxious that if they let go of what they have that that you're not going to catch them that it's not going to work out God I just pray courage for them I pray faith for them God I know there is not a better place to be in this world than in your will and I pray that you would help us each discover that Father God, whatever you have for us, call us out, call us upward, call us onward. And may we in faith just begin this moment with the answer of yes, God. You fill in the question. We've already given our answer. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.